السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم الحمد للہ نحمد باللہ من شرور انفسنا ومن سیئات عمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار Uh, so today we, uh, this is usually the Friday lesson that we have on the uh, series of lessons from the book of Shaykh Ubaid, Rahimahullahu Ta'ala, Al-Fawaid, Al-Majmu'ah, Min Al-Liqa'at, Al-Maftuha. And Alhamdulillah, we are pretty much at the end of the book. This is the second last uh, lecture of the book. And this is an explanation of the hadith, Sharh Hadith, Ashab Al-Ghar. An explanation of the hadith of the companions of the cave. The three men who sought refuge, who sought protection in a, who found a shelter in a, gra- in, a, in a cave. And so this hadith is a mighty hadith. It has many, many uh, aspects uh, of tawheed, uh, of ikhlas, of tawakkul, of trials and tribulations, uh, of tawassul. There are so many different topics which are contained within this hadith which is why it is a mighty hadith and the scholars of Islam the scholars of the Muslims they have uh, given uh, explanations uh, of various lengths of various details and so in this lesson we are going to present inshallah ta'ala uh, Sheikh Ubaid's uh, basic concise explanation to extract maybe five or six benefits that we can benefit from from this hadith insha'Allah ta'ala. So the hadith, as you know, is the hadith of Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu anhu uh, from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam that he mentioned from the people who were from the people of the past. He said that there were three men uh, who were walking on a, on a journey and severe rain came down. So they took shelter in a cave in the side of a mountain and so as they were in the cave there was a huge rock that somehow fell and sealed the opening or the mouth of the cave so they became stuck in the cave so some of them they said some of them said to the others or one of them said to the others he said look at certain actions Look at any actions that you have done which are righteous and which you have done for Allah and then invoke Allah the exalted by way of them. Perhaps Allah, he will give us rescue or relief by way of this. So the first man came and the first man, the first man said and he goes on to say in his dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, O Allah, indeed I had two elderly parents and a wife and some small children. And I used to graze the flock during the daytime. And then I would come in the evening and I would then milk the the flock. And then I would give to my parents to drink first. Then I would give to my 
wife and children. And then on one occasion, I was delayed for some reason. And then by the time I reached my parents, they had gone to sleep. So I stood at the, the heads of my parents, waiting upon them. And my children were with me, and they were complaining, or maybe they were crying, or maybe they were being, um, you know, uh, tugging at him because they were hungry. So I waited and I waited until dawn arrived. And when they got up, so then I gave them to drink. And after they had drunk, then I gave the others to drink. And then he said, فَإِن كُنْتَ تَعْلَمْ If you, O oh Allah, if you know, أَنِّي فَعَلْتُ ذَلِكَ That I did that, إِبْتِغَاءَ وَجْهِكَ Seeking your face, فَفْرُجْ لَنَا مِنْهَا فُرْجَةً فُرْجَةً نَرَى مِنْهَا السَّمَاءَ If you know that I did this for your sake, then relieve us of this uh, calamity by making an opening so that we can see the light coming through. So then, Allah Azawajal, فَفَرَجَ اللَّهُ مِنْهَا فُرْجَةً So Allah Azawajal, He made the rock to move until they could see through to the, to, to the sky. So this was the first man. He made the wassal by way of his righteousness to his parents and fulfilling the right of his parents or giving the right to his parents over and above the right to his family and to his children. The second one, the second one he said, Oh Allah, there used to be for me a cousin which I used to love with the most severe of love that can be present between a man and a woman or between men and women. And I sought, I sought her, basically to have, to have relations with her. So I came to her with a uh, hundred uh, dinars and uh, or she, she refused until I came to her with a hundred dinars. So I came, I spent the time to have a hundred dinars and then I came to her and as I was about to sit in between and was about to do the action, she said, قالت يا عبد الله اتق الله she said, O servant of Allah, fear Allah. وَلَا تَفْتَحْ الْخَاتَمَ إِلَّا بِحَقِّهِ And do not break the seal except by way of the right. Of, of, of the right except in, in the right way, through the right. So then he stood away from her. فَكُمْتُ عَنْهَا I, I stood away from her. And then he said, فَإِن كُنْتَ تَعْلَمْ أَنِّي فَعَلْتُ ذَلِكَ بِتِغَاءَ وَجْهِكَ فَفْرُجْ لَنَا مِنْهَا فُرْجَةً فَفَرَجَ لَهُمْ So he said, Wallah, if you know that I did this, seeking your face sincerely, then give us relief. Give us relief. And so the rock moved again, you know, somewhat. Then the third man, it was his turn, and then he made his dua. He said, Oh Allah, if you know... Indeed you know, or indeed you know that I hired a man, a worker. And I hired him on the basis I would pay him three sa'a, the weight of three sa'a, of rice or certain type of flour or rice. So when he did his work and said, give me my wages, 
I then presented the wages to him. And then he didn't really want the wages, right? The, the, the rice or the measure of rice or whatever it might be, the grains or whatever it might be. So then he turned away from it and he went. So what I did is I took those grains or the seeds and I plant them, planted them. And from the harvest, I then used the harvest as the harvest grew. I bought other things. So I bought some cows and then I bought a shepherd to look after the cows. So then eventually this man came back to me and he said to me, he said to me, Ittaqillah, fear Allah, do not wrong me, meaning give me my wages, I want my wages now. So I said to him, go to all of these cows that you see and there is the shepherd looking after the, the cows. All of that is yours, take it, it's all yours. So the man then said to him, Ittaqillah wa la bi. Fear Allah, are you, why are you mocking me? Do not mock me, don't make mockery of me. Because he wouldn't, couldn't believe that this is what the man was offering him as his wages when this is far, far beyond the work that he did. So he said, Fear Allah, why? Do not mock me, don't make mockery of me. So the man said, Fakultu, indeed I am not mocking you. Take all of these cows and take the shepherd, it's all yours. So he took them, and then he went on his way. And then the man said, فَإِن كُنْتَ تَعْلَمْ So Allah, if you know, أَنِّي فَعَلْتُ ذَلِكَ بِتِغَاءَ وَجْهِكَ That I did that seeking your face. فَفْرُجْ لَنَا مَا بَقِيَ فَفَرَجَ اللَّهُ مَا بَقِيَ So give us relief from what, what is left, meaning of the rock. So Allah gave him relief from that which is left. So this hadith, is in Bukhari and Muslim. This is the wording of Al-Bukhari. The wording in Muslim has some variations. And so the Shaykh, Rahimullah, uh, he first of all, the first point that he mentions as, as a benefit, he says that these are from the stories that our Lord, Allah Azawajal, has revealed to his Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And these are authentic. And these are authentic stories. They are true stories. And in this case, this particular narration is muttafaqun alihi. It is agreed upon by Bukhari and Muslim in the two Sahihs. And when we say the two, when we say the Sahihain in the field of Hadith, this means Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim. Imam al-Bukhari and Imam Muslim. These are two great scholars from the third century after Hijra who collected uh, the Hadith and compiled them. And these are the most authentic books, as the Sheikh says, Huma Asahul Kutub Ba'da Kitabillah. These are the most authentic books after the Book of Allah. This is something which is agreed upon by all of the people of knowledge and religion and Iman upon accepting these two books and whatever is within these two books. And this is from the evidences of the preservation of this religion because there is no other person of any other religion nor the Ahlul Kitab nor other than them who can say to us that they have the transmission of knowledge from their prophets in the way that the Muslims have transmission of the knowledge from their prophets we have the Isnad we have the chain of narration we have the names of all of the narrators and we see that the scholars of the Muslims did a tremendous uh, task 
in preserving uh, this knowledge and preserving the sunnah and preserving the explanation of the Quran and with this we know that uh, this is from the many angles and aspects through which we also know uh, what is mentioned in the Quran that the deen, that the religion of the Yahud and of the Nasara that this is, uh, it is mansukh, it is abrogated because it is mubaddal, it is altered, it is muharraf, it is distorted and changed and they have no other way to reach Allah except by way of the Quran and the Sunnah by way of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu and no one amongst them he is of the Prophet and does not believe in him except that he has his place he will be from the inhabitants of the hellfire so our, our disagreement with the Yahud and the Nasara isn't on any side issue it is the fact that you are following a deen which is mubaddal and muharraf it is batil it is false it is mansukh and you have no other obligation except to follow the, 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 the messenger of Allah and the Quran and the Sunnah and you can see in our religion when these people uh, from the Yahud and the Nasara the Orientalists and other than them who study the books of the Muslims and they study how the Muslims have been meticulous in preserving every detail every statement about their Prophet his, his life his statements his speech his worship his manners Every, everything and how he is an explanation a walking explanation of the Quran and the way in which the Muslims the scholars of the Muslims they meticulously documented preserved and authenticated all of this this is from the clearest of signs to these orientalists who come and they try to study Islam uh, with a view to try and undermine Islam this is a hujjah against those people because these, these Jews and Christians from the Orientalists, they know that they have nothing of the sort in their own books. They know that they do not have, that the Torah was lost. It had to be rewritten, reformulated. Uh, the Injil, we don't know who are the writers of the Injil they have today. They know all this. They know all this. So when they know all this and they come to the writings of the Muslims and they see the meticulous way in which the ahadith of the Messenger of Islam have been preserved. This is, this is another hujjah against them and against their religion, which is mansukh, uh, which is abrogated. The Shaykh then mentions a quick point, which he says that sometimes we might hear the statement of Imam al-Shafi'i, where he, might, where he, where he is uh, reported to have said, uh, This was the view of al-Shafi'i. He said the most authentic book after the book of Allah is Al-Mawatta of Imam Malik. And so the Shaykh says the answer to this is obviously Imam Shafi'i, rahimullah, he came before Al-Bukhari and Muslim. And so he was speaking in his time. What is the most authentic book after the book of Allah in, the, in that time, in the time of Imam Shafi'i, rahimullah. And it was the book of Imam Malik, Al-Mawatta. However, uh, the Shaykh goes on to say that uh, Al-Shafi'i rahimahullah himself is the Shaykh of the Shaykh of Al-Bukhari and Muslim. Because Imam Al-Shafi'i is the Shaykh of Imam Ahmed rahimahullah. And Imam Ahmed rahimahullah is the, is the Shaykh of Imam Al-Bukhari and Imam Muslim. And we know that the two compilations, the two Sahihs of Al-Bukhari and Muslim, 
they are now agreed upon to be the most authentic of the books after the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is a time-related issue. Imam Shafi said that in the, in, in the second century Hijrah and Bukhari and Muslim came after him. So after this, the Shaykh then goes on to say, Rahimahullah, that within this hadith, there are mighty lessons, mighty benefits, mighty admonitions. And likewise, there are great foundations of this religion. As I mentioned earlier in this hadith, there is Tawheed, there is Tawakkul, there is uh, the notion of being put to trial and tribulation. There is the issue of the Asbab, the ways and the means, the issue of Tawakkul. There are so many things which can be extracted out of this hadith, which is why we should be concerned with this hadith, teach it to our children, teach it to our families, and return back to the more extensive uh, shuruh and take all of the benefits out of this. So the Sheikh goes on to say that in general, in general, in this hadith, what do we see? We see that there were a group of men, they were on a journey, and they suffered a great and sudden calamity. It's a sudden calamity. It starts raining. The rain gets very heavy, it starts flooding, they need to uh, seek protection somehow. And so these things happen in life, they, happen, uh, they can happen in life. All of this shows that Allah is the one who is in control, who is in power. And he is the creator of all things, of all elements, of all forces, of the rain, of the wind, of everything. And Allah has at his disposal all of these things through which he can put people to trial. And... A believer should always be fearful and never feel secure from the, uh, from, from, the, from the Qadr of Allah or from the Makr or from the plot of Allah. A believer should always be fearful because there are things, there are ways that Allah can reach you with harm that just as he reaches you with benefit. There are ways he reaches you with harm that you could never ever imagine. It can be all of a sudden, it can be, and we know and we see, especially in the modern age where people are able to record things and you know we see videos of people just walking in their ordinary day-to-day -day activities walking down the street not thinking anything and all of a sudden they fall down a manhole or a lamppost falls and strikes them on the head or a car comes and you know kills them all of these are from the sudden things that can happen to an individual which means that a person should always be fearful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not knowing when his time will come, and to always be upon a good state. So you can have a khusnul hatim, a good state. And so these three men, they were taken suddenly by a hardship, by severe rain. So they sought refuge, they found shelter in, in a cave. So this is the general story. The second point, after we mention all of these things, the second point is, the Sheikh goes on to mention, that these men were not able to remove this huge rock which sealed the mouth of the cave. This was beyond their physical means. And the Sheikh goes on to say that they looked at this issue and they became perplexed uh, they, became, you know, they fell into hira, they, they became perplexed and they realized that there's no way for them to get out of this situation except if Allah 
reach, makes his mercy to reach them. So meaning this is a situation where all of the asbab that might be at your disposal to remove this hardship, they've all gone. Do you understand? Meaning there's, there's nothing of the physical means that are actually available to you. So when all of the available ways and means are not possible to remove this calamity, then the only thing is to turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is just pure mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This here, what the, say, what the Shaykh has indicated or alluded to, this also uh, is one of the evidences in the Quran uh, that we see uh, as an evidence for Allah's existence when a person, uh, when he's muttar, when he's compelled in a hardship and a calamity, and he knows that there's nothing else to save him. And his heart turns, instinctively it turns to Allah. This is like, for example, a man, you know, he's in an ocean and he's in the middle of the ocean. Maybe his boat's capsized or something and there's no one around miles and miles and miles. He knows no one, there's no one around. Instinctively, your, your heart reaches out to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even the atheist feels this thing. Although he might not turn to Allah, but his heart nevertheless, even though it's in his knowledge that all of the asbab, all of the ways and means have been cut off. There's absolutely nothing which is going to save me. I can scream, I can shout, I can do whatever. Nothing's going to save me. Nevertheless, within the heart, there is a, a motion and a movement towards something with the hope, save me. Right? This is, this is something instinctive to show that the hearts turn to Allah and there are many situations where it is just pure mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and your dua that is the only sabab, the only way, the only means that is going to save you from the hardship and the calamity. And that's the situation of these men who were stuck in this cave. Uh, if, they were, if the cave wasn't open, they would die of starvation, they'd die of thirst, they would be stuck in there, nobody would you know, come to them. So they realized and they said to each other, as the Sheikh explains, this is only a matter of pure mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because, as the Sheikh says, وَهَذَا بَلَاءٌ بَلَاءٌ عَظِيمٌ وَامْتِحَانٌ This is a mighty tribulation. And uh, the Sheikh says, we know that it is from the sunnah of Allah who is al-haqq that he puts the people of iman to trial. The people who say we believe, he puts them to trial, bil masaib, by way of calamities and hardships, so he can see, liyudhir, sabra sabirin, Right, so these trials and calamities are there so that the patience of those who are patient can be drawn out. Right, so that this becomes manifest. And so that Allah can see how are they going to behave, how they are going to behave in this situation. And just in the same way as Allah puts people to trial by way of masaib, which are hardships, likewise, on the other hand, He also puts people to trial by way of an-ni'am, right? By way of favors and bounties of wealth. Why? So that the shukr of the shakirin can be drawn out, right? So he tests you with evil and tests you with good so that the sabr of the sabirin can be drawn out and the shukr of the shakirin can be drawn out in either of these two ways. This is the sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is to see 
who is going to be grateful for the you know to to al-mun'im the one who is the bestower bestower of the bounties and the favors and it is as allah says in in an ayah in the quran kullu nafsin dha'iqatul maut wa nablukum bisharri wal khayri fitna every soul shall taste death and we put you to trial by way of evil and by way of good as a as a tribulation so the shaykh says that allah has made asbab for everything right he has made asbab for everything he gives an example take marriage for example marriage has been made a suburb a means to two favors and two bounties the first one is to keep yourself chaste and pure so each of the two spouses keeps the other one chaste and pure by way of nikah marriage and secondly it is a means for the propagation of of children to have children by allah's permission so marriage is a suburb to these two things and so what the sheikh is saying here is just like we clearly understand that marriage is actually a suburb for chastity and purity firstly and secondly to increase the population and to have children secondly in the same way calamities hardships trials tribulations they are a suburb likewise they are a suburb a suburb for what to bring out the sabr of the sabirin and to bring out the shukr of the shakirin and to distinguish between the one who is grateful from the one who is ungrateful so in other words what the sheikh is putting in our minds by way of this example of marriage is to allow us to see tribulations calamities hardships in the right way right these are in necessity it is inevitable if you make the claim to iman your iman will be tested by way of masaib calamities hardships and by way of ni'am which are favors and bounties then the sheikh goes on to say to to continue the uh, illustration further he says like for example a servant he takes seeds he sows seeds or he sows a, a plant or a tree and if the earth is uh, good and wholesome if there's enough water and if the soil is is good then this will lead to lead to the fruits and the fruits will come out right so once again these are ways and means right planting seeds this is from the ways and means and the consequences are trees fruits plants and so on and so forth so in exactly the same way the masaib the calamities on the one hand and the favors and bounties allah has given you that could be the bounty of wealth could be the bounty of certain types of knowledge or skill it could be physical strength it could be the bounty of free time all of these are different favors which are at your disposal then these are simply asbab ways and means that you benefit and that you profit from the sheikh then goes on to say uh, to emphasize this issue of being put to trial he says wa fil kitab al aziz within the mighty book of allah is what indicates these uh, trials and tribulations he says he mentions the verse in the quran wa la nablu wanakum bi shay'in min al khawf wal ju' 
ونقص من 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 الاموال والانفس والثمرات وبشر الصابرين that we shall put you to trial by something of fear and hunger and some loss in wealth and in life in souls and in fruits but give glad tidings to those who are patient so the sheikh says this is an absolute must this is something inevitable as allah has mentioned in this ayah there is being put to trial in the self being put to trial in wealth being put to trial in other things all of this is these are trials which come to you either in your offspring or your wife or it can be in religion be put to trial in your religion and many other affairs so what is the way of the believer it is a sabr and it is ihtisab it is anticipating reward from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and uh, as allah says in the quran ma asaba min musibatin illa bi'idhnillah wa man yu'min billahi yahdi qalbah that no calamity befalls except by the permission of allah and whoever believes in allah then he will guide his heart aright alqama rahimahullah he said about this ayah he said huwa ar-rajul this ayah is speaking about a man huwa ar-rajul tusibuhu al-musibah he is a man who is afflicted with a calamity fayalam annaha min min-indillah he then knows and acknowledges it is from allah fayarda wa yusallim so he is then pleased with that and he submits he submits to it right so this is the man who is described in this ayah woman yu'min billah yahdi qalbah whoever believes in allah he will guide his heart aright meaning that whenever you are afflicted with a hardship or a calamity you first of all acknowledge it is from allah as a trial and a test secondly you are pleased because you know this is for your betterment it is expiation of sin it is for increasing your iman it is uh, you know this can only be good for you and so you are pleased therefore and you submit to allah and the man who does this the man who behaves like this in his day to day life then allah his heart will be guided by allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to that which is correct and that which is right the sheikh says even though we often see in the the quran and the sunnah and the ahadith and the statements where we say it is a man it is the men he says this is from the bab of taghlib right even though it obviously includes women as well so this this includes women so just like a man likewise a woman who undergoes a calamity or a hardship and she acknowledges it is from allah and she is pleased with it and she makes taslim then this woman likewise is mentioned is is the one who this verse applies to woman yu'min billah whoever believes in allah he will guide his heart right so this is for all of the men and the women and likewise the sheikh mentions the ayah wa ma kana allah liyadhara almu'minin ala ma antum alayhi hatta yamiza alkhabitha min at-tayyib which again explains the reason for the trial and the tribulation allah is not going to leave the believers in the state or the situation that they are upon until until the khabith that which is vile is separated and distinguished from that which is tayyib and so the sheikh says this is 
an affair that Allah has, Allah has judged. This is Allah's hukum. And it is necessary for there to be tamhis and tanqih and tasfiyah, meaning purification, separation, right? This is an absolute must to happen among the believers to separate the khabith from the tayyib. Because the claim of iman, to say I am a believer, and to claim that you have a truthful intention, and to claim that you are sincere, all of these are things which are very easily said. And a person can very easily believe it about himself. But in reality and in, pra in practice, who is, you know, who is really the one who is tayyib? The shaykh says, who are ahlu tuqa wal iman wal amalu salih these are the people of taqwa, the people of iman, the people of righteous actions. It is the one who is tayyib. Man tayyib Allahu lahu aqwalahu wa a'malahu. The one whom Allah has made his statements to be good and wholesome. He speaks that which is good. When he speaks about the religion, he speaks that which is true and good. When he speaks with the people, he speaks that which is good and wholesome. Right? There's no evil in his speech. Likewise, he made his actions to be tayyib and made his heart to be rectified in tayyib. So he's, he is فَهُوَ tayyib فِي اِعْتِقَادِهِ وَطَيِّبْ فِي عَمَلِ جِوَارِهِهِ وَطَيِّبْ فِي مَا يَقُولُهُ مِنَ الْأَقْوَالِ تَقَرُّبًا إِلَى اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ He's good, wholesome in his belief. He's good, wholesome in the actions of his limbs. He's good, wholesome in what he says of the statements. All of this he does seeking nearness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is one type of person. And the other type of person, the khabith, is either the kafir or the munafiq. The disbeliever or the hypocrite, or it could be, uh, it can also be from among the muslimin, uh, you know, there are those who, uh, you know, oppose that which is most befitting. Uh, the shaykh goes on to mention the famous hadith that we are all familiar with, in which the Messenger of Allah he said, Ajaban li amri mu'min, how amazing is the affair of the believer. Indeed, all of his affair is goodness. And this is not for anyone other than the believer. In Asabatu Sarra, if something pleasing and good comes to him, he is grateful, and this is better for him. And if something hardship, some hardship afflicts him. He is patient, sabr, and this is better for him. So the way of the believer in relation to all of these trials, calamities, hardships on the one hand, and also the favors and the bounties and the enjoyments on the other hand, what is the way of the believer? It is summarized in this hadith. It is sabr and it is shukr. And these are the two halves of the religion as mentioned by Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah, that the whole of the religion is either sabr, having patience in obedience to Allah, patience in keeping away from Allah's disobedience, and patience in the face of calamities. This is sabr. And likewise, on the other hand, it is shukr. And what is shukr? How do you give shukr? The shaykh explains that shukr, there are three elements, or there are three components to shukr for the one who wants to be grateful to Allah. The first of them, he says, Al-Iqrar bin ni'mah batinan wa batinan yaqeenan annaha min indillah. The first of them is to believe firmly that this is a favor from Allah 
to have certainty that it is from Allah and if Allah wants he can keep this favor upon you or if he wants he can remove this favor from you to have that belief that this favor of wealth or good health or property or offspring or whatever it might be this Allah bestowed this upon me and if Allah wants he might keep it with me and if Allah wants he can snatch it away from me in an instant for, for a wisdom or for a reason right to have that belief that belief must be present first of all secondly to speak with that favor tahdith bin zahiran and the sheikh says this is if there is a situation where there is a need to do that right to speak and to proclaim the favors and bounties that Allah has bestowed upon you in order to glorify Allah so for example the sheikh says if you are in a gathering of people that are good people and you know they are good righteous people and you can say for example um, you know you can say this is my these are my children and I give you glad tidings, good news, that they have memorized the book of Allah. Right? So this is not to boast or to show off, but it is to manifest the bounty of Allah. This is a bounty of Allah, that Allah favored you, and he gave you children who are righteous, who memorized the Quran. So in order to glorify Allah, and also to encourage other people as well, you can say, this is my son, Alhamdulillah, he's memorized the Quran or he's done such and such, whatever. This is something which according to need and according to circumstance, it is something that is permissible to do. And it is part and parcel of being grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As we see in the Quran, as for the favor and the bounty of your Lord, then proclaim, mention it. Likewise, the Shaykh is one or two other examples. Uh, Alhamdulillah, Allah has given me a righteous wife or two righteous wives after having some previous wives that maybe was not so good alhamdulillah allah has uh, you know i used to be poor before and allah has enriched me and given me property and wealth so you can say these things not out of boasting not out of showing off but simply to uh, manifest the bounty and the favor of allah so that the servants of allah can know and can see that Allah showers his bounties upon other people and also to encourage them as well to take the ways and the means so that they too can receive the bounties and the favors of Allah. So these are some of the positive things. So this is the second element or component of shukr. And the third element of a shukr, the Sheikh explains, Rahimahullah, he says, Sarf fi mardati muwalliha, which is, to use this favor or these favors in the pleasure of the one who bestows them and the one who is con in control of them, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he does not spend except in that which Allah loves and is pleased with. And so this is the one who is truly grateful to Allah. So therefore the Sheikh says a person should be fearful that you know, those who spend from the wealth Allah has given them in Allahu, Al-Tarab, Al-Fisq, Al-Fujur, people have wealth, they have give, been given wealth. What do they spend it upon? Pastimes, amusements, sin, disobedience. All of this is 
in gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it is very very dangerous it is khatar it is danger upon this person either in this life and the next or in the next life so because this person is wronging himself he's doing zulm and this is bad adab this is su'ul adab with the one who gave you the favor and the bounty and in the hadith which is authentic the sheikh mentions the hadith of the messenger of Allah inna allaha la yumli lidhalim Indeed, Allah, He gives respite to the zalim, the one who's wronging himself or others. He gives him respite, meaning that He delays the punishment and He just leaves him to continue until when He takes him in punishment, then He will not let him escape. He will not let him escape. And then he recited the verse in the Quran, Thus is when your Lord, thus is the, is the punishment of your Lord when he seizes a township in punishment while it is doing wrong. Indeed, the punishment of your Lord is, is shadid, is very, very severe, painful and very, very severe, related by Al-Bukhari. So, uh, the Shaykh says that indeed, Allah, فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ مَعَاشِرَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَالْمُسْلِمَاتِ يُمَحِّلْ وَلَا يُحْمِلْ Allah Zawajal, He gives you respite, He delays but he does not, but he is not neglectful. So do not think that just because you're committing sin and disobedience and oppression and nothing is happening, Allah gives respite. In fact, Allah gives respite sometimes to nations for decades or centuries, as he did with Nuh salam. So Allah may give respite, but he does not neglect, he's not forgetful. It's not because he's forgetful, but he's giving you respite so that when you are taken with the punishment, then there will be nothing to divert it and to, and to save you from it. And it will be completely and totally justified. So this is the second general benefit. What is the second? The first benefit was to do with a hadith, the authentic books of compilation. Uh, and the religion of the Muslims has come to us. It is preserved. Second benefit is about trials and tribulations, how they are a must. And it is by way of masaib on the one hand, calamities, difficulties, and it is by way of bounties and favors on the other hand to see who is the tayyib, who is the khabith, and so that uh, a person can be, can be grateful to Allah, and what are the components of gratitude, the Sheikh mentioned them all. And also, another thing to mention as well, we can see clearly from all of these texts, that the believer, uh, the Muslim, the believer, uh, when he believes in the hereafter, he believes the promise of Allah is true, when he undergoes all of these hardships and calamities, until even hardships and calamities that come from the people of kufr and the people of shirk, then he knows that uh, there is justice and there is victory and that, that there is recompense. And this is why the people of Iman are the strongest and most resilient of the people of the earth 
and why the people who disbelieve in Allah disbelieve in the hereafter and do not have a promise to believe in they are the weakest of the people the most cowardly of the people and that's why they take their lives they commit suicide for the simplest and silliest of things you know the cat died and I don't have a cat anymore my, my life is ruined I'll take my life and this is not a made up story these, these are real things that happen to people the dog died fell in a you know, uh, was on some ice and fell and, you know, fell in, died. Well, my life's finished now. I've got nothing to live for. You know, take my life, Suiza. This is what happens in these societies, right? And likewise, people who do not believe in the hereafter, there are some people who believe that, um, you know, they will live forever. If they, they, they wish they could live for a thousand years, Allah describes these people in the Quran. They are greedy for, for life and they fear death. And then they claim they are the sons of Allah. We are the abna of Allah. Yet if you tell them, okay, if that's true, فَتَمَنَّ wal-maut, Seek death then. But they are the most cowardly and fearful of death, these people. They are the most cowardly of people on this earth because they don't truly believe in Allah. They don't believe in the hereafter. Right? They believe only in themselves that they are somehow special. And these are the most cowardly of people of the people of the earth. And these traits are found in them because they are not people of Iman. They are not people of Tawheed. They are not people who believe in the hereafter. They are not people who have any conviction in Allah's promise. Rather, they are people of this world. They are people of the earth. They are attached to this earth and to the wealth. And they want to hoard the wealth. Right? And that's why their hearts are like what they are, hard, hard-hearted, arrogant, cannot accept the truth, right? So the believer is not like this. The believer, by way of all of what we mentioned, the heart of the believer, he's either sabir or he is shakir. He's either patient or he is grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And from the greatest of this that you can see today, nowadays, you see what the people uh, in Palestine, what they are suffering, what they are go going through, and you see old men sitting on the ruins of their houses, praising and thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, saying, I am alive. As long as I am alive, I should be grateful to Allah. You know, this, what is this? You see people like that. You see videos, you see stories. And this has captured the, the, the interest of many people around the world. That they see, how can these Muslims, how can these people be treated like this? and be expelled from their homes and be bombed and be killed and, have, and bury their children, pull out their children and yet we see them patient, calm and having certainty in what they believe in. How can this be? And by way of this you see people uh, being led to the Quran, being led to Islam and it is like Allah says in the Quran, يُرِيدُونَ لِيُطْفِئُوا نُورَ اللَّهِ بِأَفْوَاهِهِمْ وَاللَّهُ مُتِمُّ نُورِهِ وَلَوْ كَرِهَ الْكَافِرُونَ They wish to extinguish the light of Allah with their tongues. But Allah, but Allah will most certainly complete His light even if the disbelievers, they detest it. Right? So these qualities of the believer that we see, that he is, has sabr, that he has shukr, and he advances through life, dealing with calamities on the one hand 
and dealing with bounties with patience and gratitude on the other this is something that when the people who do not have iman when they see this and they see this resilience in the people of iman they know there is something that is behind this they know that there's got to be truth behind this and so this encourages us alhamdulillah to be people of sabr and shukr and to face the calamities and hardships of life honorably with patience with diligence uh, and and so on the next benefit the third benefit that the sheikh takes uh, from this uh, uh, from this hadith is about the issue of tawassul tawassul uh, which is seeking a means of nearness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there are types of tawassal. There are numerous types of seeking nearness to Allah. The Shaykh says, for tawassal al-mashru' thalathatu anwa' It is of three types. The first one, at-tawassal billahi azza wa jal, bismihi al-alam. It is tawassal to Allah by way of his actual name. The actual name of Allah. And he is A'raful Ma'arif. You know, he is the one who is the most known of all known things. And this name is Allah. Ya Allah. Allahumma. Right? So this is a form of tawassal. To call upon Allah by way of his actual name. You say, Ya Allah. Ya Ilahi. Allahumma. And so this is how the Muslims, they, they invoke their Lord. So this is the first type of tawassal or the means of tawassal. The second, the shaykh says, At-tawassal bi-asma' bi-asma'illahi wa sifatihi. Tawassal to Allah by way of his names and his attributes. So for example, a person might say, Ya Hay, Ya Qayyum, Ya Dhal Jalali wal Ikram. So you invoke the most beautiful names of Allah, O ever-living Ya Qayyum, O self-sustaining one who sustains all others, Ya Dhal Jalal wal Ikram, possessor of majesty and honor. Or you say, Rabbi, as'aluka bi rahmatika allati wasi'at kulla shay. O Allah, O my Lord, I ask you by way of your mercy, which has encompassed every single thing. So now we are invoking Allah by way of his attribute, the attribute of mercy. Right? So in this way, we mention Allah's names or his attributes, which are suitable to the thing that we are seeking. So if we are seeking provision, Ya Razzaq, if we are seeking mercy, Ya Ar-Rahman, if you are seeking, so whatever, whatever you are seeking, we use appropriate names and we invoke Allah by way of them. This is a second type of tawassal. A third type of tawassal, which we see what is in this hadith, is tawassal bil-a'mal, bil-a'mal as-saliha, which is tawassal to Allah, seeking nearness to Allah by way of righteous deeds. So when a Muslim servant, man or woman, he falls into a calamity or a hardship, difficult circumstances, and he knows that he has deeds that he has done, then he can seek nearness to Allah by way of that. He can say, Rabbi, ta'lam anna abdaka fulan waqa'a fi da'iqatin فَأَتَيْتُهُ مِنْ مَالِكَ أَلَّذِي آتَيْتَنِي مَا فَرَّجْتُ مَا فَرَّجْتَ بِهِ قُرْبَتَهُ Right, so he basically says, Oh my Lord, you know that uh, there was a servant of yours who fell into a hardship and I gave to him from the wealth that you gave to, me, to, gave to me to relieve him of his hardship. And if you know, if you know that I did that, 
If you know that, if you did that for your sake, then relieve me of my difficulty, right? So a person can mention what he believes, what he knows, or what he says from his righteous deeds in order to have his dua to be, to be answered. So these are the types of tawassal, and we have to make a distinction between the permitted legislated tawassal that the sheikh has mentioned here. It is one's righteous deeds, or it is invoking Allah by his names and attributes, or it can also be the dua of another person, another person making dua for you. These are the three types of permitted tawassal. This is not to be confused by what is labeled tawassal by the grave worshippers and the Sufis. Right? So they take, for example, istighatha, which is invoking a dead person. Invoking a dead person, someone who's been dead for centuries or who's some, in another part of the, the world, and asking him for rescue. Right? So you're in a car crash or you're drowning or something and you invoke this person. This is istighatha. This is istighatha seeking rescue from other than Allah in a thing in which only Allah can help you and in which they can't even hear you anyway or respond to you anyway. This is the major shirk. So they take this and they call it, they say, this is tawassal. This is tawassal. By calling upon this man, when we say, ya so-and-so, Abdul Qadir, ya so-and-so, we are simply using that to gain nearness to Allah, so therefore this is tawassal. And this is bad, this is false. This is shirk with Allah Azawajal. Why are you invoking this man when you can invoke Allah directly? Isn't Allah hearing you? Isn't he seeing you? Isn't he the one who is powerful over all things? So why do you need to invoke this man? Uh, this is shirk. But they call this tawassal. So this is the way of Ahlul Bid'ah. They take things which are false. They, they, they give them certain labels and names which, which, which are not applicable. Right? So we need to distinguish between the tawassal, which is mashru' and the tawassal, which is mamnu' and which is either bid'ah or it is, no, it is, it is shirk. So after this, the Sheikh was on to mention the next benefit from this hadith. And the next benefit is al-ikhlas, the effect of sincerity, the power of being sincere or trying to be sincere. We can't say that we have achieved, no one can say I'm sincere, but you try to achieve sincerity. And that's why you see in, in these hadith, what did the men say? The men said it conditionally. This is another fa'id that the Shaykh will mention shortly. The men said it conditionally. فَإِن كُنْتَ تَعْلَمْ فَإِن كُنْتَ تَعْلَمْ أَنِّي فَعَلْتُ ذَلِكَ إِبْتِغَاءَ وَجْهِكَ If you know that I did it seeking you. They didn't say, Ya Rabb, O oh my Lord, I did this sincerely for your sake. They said, O oh, oh my Lord, if you know that I did this sincerely for your sake, for your, for your sake. Right? So, ikhlas is from the greatest of the, of the things that come out of this hadith because all of these three men, they were sincere in what they, what they did and even the circumstances because you can see from the circumstances of what they did, you can clearly see the signs of honesty and sincerity. Right? The man who's waiting on his parents even though his children are crying, right? Because he wants to serve his parents. 
and the children are crying and tugging at him and he's waiting all night. A man wouldn't do that unless he's genuine and sincere. Likewise, the man who is about to commit fornication, right? He's prepared for that act. And right at the moment in which he can have his way, he's told to fear Allah. And, you know, in, in that moment, and he's a youth, and there are other things to do as well that will, that will come to that, inshallah, at the end. And, and he, he fees Allah, right? These are all, and the man with the wealth, gathered all the wealth, he could have kept it for himself. These are all circumstances in which you can clearly see that this is a display of actual truthfulness and of sincerity. So the Sheikh says the fourth benefit, al-ikhlas, which is sincerity. And he says all of these men, Allah answered their dua and relieved them of their hardship because because they, are, they were sincere. And ikhlas, the Sheikh then goes on to say, is, as you know, one of the two conditions for the acceptance of an action. One is ikhlas, to do it sincerely for the sake of Allah and having no other motive or reason, no other worldly motive or reason, to only want to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, this is one of the two conditions. The other condition is al-mutaba'ah, which is to follow and to imitate the messenger of Allah sallam, to do the action correctly. The Shaykh speaks about this and he mentions the uh, statement of al-Fudayl bin Iyad, rahimahullah, when he said about the statement of Allah, that Allah may test you as to which of you is the best indeed. He said, He said, this is the most sincere action and the most correct action. This means that which is sincere for the sake of Allah and that it is in accordance with the sunnah of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Right, so what this hadith teaches us is the power of al-ikhlas and that a servant does his deeds, speaks his speech, does his deeds. It is sincerely and purely only for the sake of Allah. And when a man has that, when he does these deeds, then these will help him in calamities and hardships in, in the rest of his life. And that's why a believer has to, has to prepare and do these righteous deeds and have available to himself these asbab or these ways and means which when, when the calamity comes he can invoke Allah and you know uh, anticipate and make ihtisab of a, of a response the fifth benefit the Sheikh mentions here is what we just mentioned earlier which is it is permissible jawazul ishtirat fil amal because these men they actually mentioned a condition right so if you remember each of the three men, they said, فَإِن كُنْتَ تَعْلَمْ If you know, O Allah, that I did this seeking your face, this hadith shows it is permissible to make this ishtirat, this, this specifying the condition in the, in the dua. Another example the shaykh gives is the dua al-istikhara. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله 
أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة حي على الصلاة حي على الفلاح حي على الفلاح الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله So another example in the Sunnah is the Dua of Al-Istikhara in which a believer when he makes this Dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he says Allahumma in kunta ta'lam anna hadha al-amr khairun li fi dini wa ma'ashi wa aqibati amri He says, oh Allah if you know that this affair is good for me in my religion, my livelihood and in the final affair uh, then will it for me and make it easy for me and then bless me in it. So here it is mentioned with a condition. In kunta ta'lam. So this is something permissible to do and you see the evidence for that in the sunnah. The final benefit is the shaykh goes on to say, okay, what are the righteous actions that these men did? Each of these three men, what is the nature of the actions that these three men did? And you can see here, that uh, there are certain attachments that a person has. A person has attachments to his children, to, his, uh, to, to the banin. This is a trial. A person has shahwa, the shahawat he wants to pursue. A person has love of wealth. All of these are mentioned uh, at the beginning of Surah Ali Imran. In which Allah will, He says, as you know, the ayah, "Zuyina linnasi hubbu shahawati min al-nisa wal-banin wal-kanatir al-mukantarati min al-zahir wal-fidda wal-khayl al-musawama wal-an'am wal-harf." This is just the nature of man. That man, it has been beautified for him the love of desires and lust of the women and of offspring and of different types of, you know, gold and silver and beautified braided horses and cattle and you know tilling of the land and whatever these are things that people their hearts are inclined to and when you look in this hadith and you see what are the three deeds the three actions the men did one man although he loves his children he let go of that and served his parents another man Abandoned his desire at the moment and the point in which he could have fulfilled it and he feared Allah and he, and he abandoned that and The third man had wealth, you know, there was, there was an amana, he had this wealth And he willingly gave back this wealth I mean he didn't have to but he, he gave the wealth back to the man out of sadaqah and out of amana So all of these you can see that these are related to the, 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 these affairs of the world So the Sheikh says these actions that each of these three men did. The first one, Allah saved him because of his bir, his righteous action towards his parents. He stood and sat by, by the heads as they are asleep. And he, in order to give them simply a drink from the milk. And despite his children, 
you know, chugging at him, pulling at him, maybe they were even crying. And all of this points us to the direction of the ayat in the Quran, as you know, in which Allah Azawajal, he says, وَقَضَى رَبُّكَ أَلَّا تَعْبُدُوا إِلَّا إِيَّهِ Your Lord has decreed that you do not worship except Him, and He has enjoined righteousness or benevolence to the parents. أَنِشْكُرْ that you are grateful to me and to your parents and to me is the return and as the scholars of the Muslims say that this is the second greatest right it is the right of the parents after the right of Allah to single him out in worship it is the right of the parents so this man, the first man then he mentioned his bir to his parents whom he put ahead of his own children whom he loves and on account of that, a part of the calamity was, was, was removed. The second man, why was, he, why was his dua answered? Uh, the Sheikh says, or the third man here, it is because of his amana. He was entrusted. Uh, the wages that were left behind, he used them to grow the wealth. And in fact, in the other narration in Muslim, it mentions that this man actually managed to get camels and cows and sheep and all sorts of other types of possessions, not just the cows as we see in the narration in Al-Bukhari. So when the man came to him, and he said to him, this is all yours, all of this wealth is yours, he couldn't believe what he was seeing and what this man is saying. He thought he was being mocked. And so this man, as the Sheikh says, that this was the, the amana uh, that he fulfilled. And even though it wasn't binding upon him, because... The, the one who worked, he didn't deserve all of that. He could have just given his wages and said, this is your wages that I kept for you. He didn't have to do that. But out of amana, fulfilling the trust, and out of sadaqah, he gave what he gave. Which means that his heart wasn't attached to the wealth. He was put to trial by the wealth, as we see in the ayah. And he didn't allow his heart to be put to trial. So this issue of the amana, the sheikh then speaks a little about the amana, he says, what is the amana? What is al-amana? Al-amana is everything with which a servant is entrusted with and which he fulfills completely. Right? Whether it is... So, ibadah of Allah is an amana. The worship of Allah is an amana. And tawheed and being sincere to Allah is an amana. And likewise, all other dealings, everything that you are entrusted with, even between the spouses, the husband and wife, it is an, an amana. Each one has an amana to the other one. The Sheikh actually mentions a point here, that the, the spouses should fear Allah. And from the amana is that you do not divulge. A man doesn't come along and say, well, I did such and such with my wife, and I did such and such with my wife. And like you see, amongst the people of disbelief, and maybe they are drinking or whatever, and one says, well, ah, yes, I came back and I beat my wife and I did this. This type of thing is, is not to be, this is, this is not befitting for, uh, for, for Muslims. Even that relationship there, there is an amana. And finally, the third man, he was saved by way of two things. First of all, he had fear of Allah, and he had chastity, ifa in relation to that woman. And secondly, 
he gave charity in the sense that that money he gave to her, he did not demand it back. Right? So even though he abandoned the action he was about to do, he left the money and he did not demand it back. So Allah saved him on account of these two things. His fear of Allah from falling into fornication and secondly, on account of what he, what he gave to her. And so the Sheikh says, and this is a tremendous issue here because if you look at the story of this man, when she said to him that I want 100, 120 dinars, he had to work and he had to prepare and to gather this wealth. So meaning that for him to actually do this deed, to commit this fornication, it was something that he was preparing for, knowing that he wanted to and he was going to do it. And then after all of that preparation, making that money, coming to and then finding the situation, the opportunity to be alone, he was just about to, you know, to, to, to do the relation. And at that point in time, which is the most difficult time that you think about, you think all of that preparation, all of that effort, all of that time, all of that patience I've waited for right at this moment, right now. This is the most difficult moment in which to pull yourself back, especially with an action like this, which is to take pleasure from a woman in private, in secret, when nobody else is around. At that moment, she said to him, Fear Allah. And at that moment, he abandoned it and from the signs of his sincerity is that he didn't even demand his money back because, you know, an unscrupulous, vile man might have said, well, okay, I'll, I'll stop, I want money, money back, right? No, he didn't. And this is a sign of his, of his actual sincerity. As we said, all of these scenarios you can see, it is clearly a scenario in which we can see the sincerity of that person really coming through. So the Sheikh mentions three really beautiful points which we'll finish with inshallah ta'ala and he mentions three points about this story which makes it even more, the issue even more, more strong. He says first point is, first of all this, this girl, she was his cousin, daughter of his uncle and what seems apparent is that she did not have any guardian. It seems from the story that her father wasn't present, maybe he's died, maybe... You know, and it's as if the uncle was the guardian. Meaning, there's no guardian really over the girl to look after her and to protect her and to preserve her. Right? So this is one of the circumstances of this story. The second is that she was a virgin. Because she said, do not break the seal unlawfully without the due right. So she is a virgin. Which indicates that as you know, that the people with evil intentions, they seek out women who are naive and not worldly wise and who are easy to exploit and especially in the absence of a guardian, right? And so someone like that is very easy to, you know, to, to exploit and to get and to work his way into that situation where, where, where he can have his way with her, right? And this is what we see. This is why it is important in Islam uh, that the, the men uh, are the protectors and maintainers, they are the guardians of their, of their daughters. And 
this is why you see all of these movements that you see in the West where they are trying to undermine the family and trying to uh, separate the, the, the ones who promote feminism and to make women hate men to claim they are exploited and whatever and likewise to separate children from their parents in the name of these are the most evil, despicable, filthy, vile people on this earth and what they intend and what they desire is they desire the likes of these things they want to exploit the woman uh, for economic reasons they want to exploit the children for reasons of perversion amongst other things so this is something that we must not neglect do not neglect your children do, especially now when you see that through the use of, of culture through the use of entertainment through the use of music and singing through the use of propping up these uh, uh, personalities and celebrities through celebrity worship right this is how they get to the children and then they infuse the ideas by way of these these people right I warn you from this this is a tremendous danger upon the minds and the hearts of our children but this is what they do this is how they get into a society how they get into a nation it is by way of broadcasting by way of entertainment even by way of sports right the, these are people that become very wealthy and then they use them to push ideologies and cultures and values upon the children who respect the, these these you know sports people entertainers you know whatever it might be this is how they undermine uh, people's uh, beliefs and people's people people's values and so here this shows the tremendous importance of the parents of the father and him looking over his children his daughters specifically and especially and especially in these in these lands where you can clearly see without any shame without even hiding it they are going for your children right they're not even hiding this they're allowing a 50 year old man to go in the shower with 13 year old girls in the name of this this how how can this actually happen how has this happened it didn't happen overnight it's happened over three or four decades of working slowly bit by bit incrementally so that you don't notice that when it, when you see this evil and filth blatantly in your face how could a society be turned from that to the it's because it's the way it's done it is done in small tiny incremental steps bit by bit until so, so that you can't see the changes until it's too late and now it's too late right this is how they do it and so this is the most important of these affairs that a man is responsible for his flock for his wife for his children for his daughters especially and you know this this hadith indicates uh, this the circumstances of this incident indicate this that this girl didn't have a guardian and obviously she's a virgin as well so therefore easily exploited and there are many many people out there evil people with evil intentions they are out there for this you know for this purpose the third thing as well is that she was as the sheikh says right so she was in poverty she was she was not well off she, she was in need of wealth this now is a third element that makes the situa situation ripe for exploitation you don't have a guardian you are a virgin 
young, naive, and you are in poverty. All of these things, ingredients, make it right for you to be exploited and to find yourself in a situation like this, right? And this is going back before Islam. This is, this is going back before Islam, maybe among the Bani Israel or you know, one of the nations. How much more so is it in relation to what we find today? You, know, you send your daughters out, they go to school, and they are taught what they are taught to hate their parents, that they, you know, that, and they are taught to follow their impulses and their desires, and that this is freedom, and all of these things make it right for them to be to be exploited, and to be led into relationships, and to, you know, this this is tremendous evil, and you can see in this hadith how in this hadith all of these elements that lead to these evils are found in this hadith. Right? No guardian, young, naive, uh, poverty, you know, maybe uh, in need of money or whatever. So the Sheikh says here, mentioning this third point, that she was faqira, she was, she was uh, in poverty, and so he was able to dominate her by way of, you know, by way of the wealth, and even though she was chaste, and she was righteous, she had the need for some money, but he was able to dominate his way somehow over her to get her into this situation. And right at that moment, what did she say? He said, she said, Ittaqillah, fear Allah and do not break the seal except with the due right, which is what? An nikah as sahih which is a valid nikah, a sound nikah. Right? And obviously that, that man was, was a believer. So, he mentions the ayah in the Quran, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ تَقَوْ إِذَا مَسَّهُمْ طَائِفٌ مِّنَ الشَّيْطَانِ تَذَكَّرُوا فَإِذَا هُمْ مُبَسِّرُونَ Indeed, those who fear Allah, when they are touched with an impulse, an incitation from shaytan, they remember and then they see a right. Right? This is the way of the believer. We all can be put in these situations. We might find ourselves in such a situation. But when a believer remembers Allah at that moment and fears Allah, then they are shown the right way. They see the right way. And someone who abandons, as we see in this instance, that gratification he was could have had right there, right then, which he's prepared a long time for, this is a tremendous display of sincerity. And that's what we should be looking for. That sometimes we might find ourselves in a situation where the sincerity is being tested. And you, you, and you take that opportunity to, to be sincere to Allah, to show, to prove, to, to, to show to yourself that you sacrifice something for the sake of Allah. Because these are the deeds which when it comes to later in your life, when you are in a calamity or a hardship, then you will have some provision, you will have something by which to make the wassail to Allah, to invoke Allah, and to relieve yourself of this hardship and of this uh, calamity. And the Shaykh says also this man, you know, he, he even abandoned these dinars, these gold coins that he gave to her. This is a proof that he was sincere and that he didn't ask for the, for the, for the money back. And this was genuinely out of the feet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his heart wasn't attached to any material thing. 
you know, uh, in, in, in leaving that action for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the Shaykh then finishes by saying, at the end of all of this, وَالْمَقْسُودُ أَنَّ الْأَعْمَالِ الصَّالِحَةِ الَّتِي أَخْلَصَ الْقَوْمُ فِيهَا لِلَّهِ تَوَصَّلُوا إِلَيْهِ بِهَا فَأَجَابَهُمْ وَعَطَاهُمُ اللَّهِ سُؤَالَهُمْ وَلِلَّهِ الْحَمْدِ وَالْمِنَّةِ The intent here then is that these righteous actions in which these people were sincere to Allah, they then made tawassal to Him by way of them, and Allah responded to them and gave them what they asked. And to Allah belongs the praise and the bounty. And this brings us to the end of what the Shaykh has extracted from this hadith of benefits. And so as we said, may Allah reward the Shaykh for uh, this uh, beautiful explanation. As with this beautiful hadith, within it is tawheed, within it is not only ikhlas, but the circumstances of ikhlas. Within it is tawakkul and the asbab. When the asbab disappear, what is left, it is just pure tawakkul upon Allah pure mercy of Allah. Within it is the different types of tribulations, love of children, love of wealth, love of gratification of desires, and these men were put to trial in their lives and they abandoned these things for the sake of Allah, and so they were able to uh, make the wasl to Allah. So there are many, many tremendous benefits to, to do with Tawheed, and to do with the religion of Sabr and Shukr. So, uh, this is a, a nice brief explanation and I encourage you to go and look for other more detailed explanations from the other scholars to, to add to this knowledge and to add to this understanding. And so with that, we'll conclude our lesson there for today. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Wa sallallahu ala Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.